Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore, and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent, and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Today, our podcast episode is with Mr. Matt Frad. Matt speaks to tens of thousands of people every single year. He's an author, speaker, podcaster. He's earned his master's and undergraduate degrees in philosophy from Holy Apostles College. His podcast, Love People and Use Things and Pints with Aquinas are listened to by tens of thousands of people every single month. He lives with his wife, Cameron, and their children in the mountains of North Georgia. And today we talk with Matt about pornography. Matt and I discuss his book, The Porn Myth, and it's jam-packed. There's so much in there to talk about. So this conversation is really the intro conversation into the topic. We clearly don't have the time to go into all the different aspects of some of the questions we even bring up in the podcast. So we both make make you aware of that. Like This is not supposed to be some exhaustive conversation on pornography, but it's a really good and it's a really honest one. This is definitely a conversation, just so you know, you probably shouldn't have young children around. We do talk pretty blunt about pornography. I don't think anything's really inappropriate. However, I wouldn't want my young kids around for this conversation considering their ages and it's just not quite ready yet to have maybe some of the vocabulary we use about pornography. So keep that in mind for that. It's really, it's a really great conversation. Matt's fantastic. He's an expert in this area. He has studied so much and he has got so much background and research in there. A lot of it is also in the book that we talk about called The Porn Myth. We mention it in the podcast, but it's worth mentioning again. 
This book that he wrote with Ignatius Press, every single dime of the royalties that he would have received, he is donating to sexually exploited women. It was really wonderful. He's got a certain group that he has given his proceeds to. It's a very honorable thing. So just another little tidbit that I just, I really love and I, and, and I really honor about what Matt is doing in, in his work. He's an amazing man. I've worked with Matt personally for many years, probably for almost 10 years. I think I've worked alongside Matt and at different conferences. We both started out at Catholic Answers together. So it's been really wonderful for me personally to watch my colleague and friend grow and do so much for the kingdom. It's Matt's great. You're going to love him. Plus, you know, he's from Australia, so he's got that cool accent that everybody likes. But nevertheless, beyond his accent, what he has and the content he has to say is really what's important. So I can't wait for you to listen to this. This one, this one's going to be good, very informative. I think you're going to be really interested in to see what he has to say and what he shares with us. So here you go. And here is Mr. Matt Pratt. Well, hello, friends. We are back and we are back with uh, Mr. Matt Frad. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. <laughs> so happy to talk to you. Happy to have you on the podcast. First time ever. Really excited to talk to you in general. I'm excited to talk to you also about the topic we're talking about today, which is kind of it's one of the things that you uh, seem to seem to do, right, <laughs> is, to, is to talk about porn. Seem to gravitate towards for some reason. Yeah. Okay. So like we're we're just going to jump in. We're just going to jump in. Now this is the first time that this topic of pornography has been addressed on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. So I'm very excited that we are talking about it because we need to talk about it and of course having you as an expert in the field and have been championing the cause for men and women to fight against it. You've got a lot of things going on of what you do in this area. Now you have a new podcast just that surrounds pieces of this. Is that correct? Yeah, it's called Love People Use Things. And it's all about, yeah, why we should love people and use things. And yeah. porn does the opposite of that. So Absolutely. And then you're you, now you have an and you have another podcast. Oh yeah. We, I got a lot of stuff going on. You don't have to address <laughs> all of it. But I also have a geeky philosophy podcast called Pints with Aquinas. That's right. Yes, Pints with Aquinas. It's very popular. It does very, very well. I'm sure everybody here knows about it already. We're going to include the link so that you can make sure that you subscribe to both of those podcasts. They're excellent. I've listened to them. I subscribe myself. Very, very good. Add them to your podcast repertoire and you can listen to those and you can hear more from that. We're going to get into like some basics and some things that are going on in particular about your new book. You have a new book called The Porn Myth exposing the reality behind the fantasy of pornography. We're going to get into the contents of this book now, but let's begin with something I found incredibly interesting, which is what the proceeds of this book go to. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, 100% of my royalties that I would have got from Ignatius go to a group in San Diego who helps support sexually trafficked women. They're called Children of the Immaculate Heart, and they house and educate those who have been victims of sex slavery, they do amazing work. So, Yeah, so that's, I just find that incredibly honorable and wonderful that you can pour all of your all of your hard work and your time into a book and then it goes literally to helping other people outside of the fact that the contents of the book help us all in understanding really what's going on with porn. And as you, I mean, just literally as the title says, this porn myth, because we have this idea that like, it's no big deal. It's like, it's what I do on my own time. It's what I pay for my subscription, or if you're that into porn that way. Um, mm -hmm. It's what I view in my private life. And it does not affect 
anybody else. I mean, that's generally typically what most people I think think of porn mm-hmm. when they think of its its effect on the world, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So uh, over the last 40 years or so, there's been a lot of research that's come out of different branches of science. I'm thinking psychology, sociology, neurology. And all of it seems to be saying pretty clearly that pornography is detrimental to the consumer. So if the person says this doesn't affect anyone else, even if that were true, we've got really good reasons to think it's negatively impacting you, which you should care about. And then studies have shown that it negatively impacts our relationships, not just our romantic ones. And then, of course, society as a whole. So, you know, I think it used to be the case that if people were talking out against porn, people would say, well, you must be you must be religious. And that's why. Now, I'm certainly religious, and I think there's good moral arguments against the consumption of pornography. But even if one isn't religious, there's good reasons to think that porn kills love, to use that phrase, and also that it's just not good for us. So uh, for that reason, lots of people have begun speaking out against pornography, like the lead singer of Metallica, like the comedian Chris Rock, like former porn performer Pamela Anderson, and the list goes on. So... It's really been neat to see more and more people wake up to the fact that that porn is is hurting us, not just religious people. Right. It kind of it kind of goes back to the idea that like there's a demand on our hearts to love more fully, and porn actually is a threat to hmm. that because it breaks it all apart. In the intro of your book, there's a piece that I underlined that just kind of spoke to me. And you write, if you're an avid porn consumer and have never given a moment's thought to whether it is good or bad, right or wrong, my objective here is not to condemn you. Though I won't flinch in saying your mentality about pornography is wrong, your desire for sexual fulfillment is rooted in something very good. Mm -hmm. That, I really love that line that you had, that you added about about the book and really what, what, what the book is, what the book is not. Because there's something there where sometimes we just want to condemn all porn, and obviously porn is bad, but people who view, consume, partake in pornography mm-hmm. are also, they are bad. And so there's this attachment there that we want to kind of break and look at the desires and the passions and how they're ordered or disordered. And you obviously go into that in the book a little bit. Yeah. And you know, this as a good Catholic, and if I'm sure most of your listeners are you know good Christians or many of them, and they would recognize, right, that the problem with porn isn't sex. And even though that sounds like a cliche at this point, it's always worth reiterating when we're going to condemn pornography. So like if porn, if sorry, if sex wasn't in some way beautiful, you couldn't actually make it ugly. You know what I mean? Like you can't make mud ugly. It just isn't beautiful. So you can't do anything against it to make it worse than it is. Uh, sexual desire is obviously good. If you don't experience it, that's not a sign that you're healthy. And of course, nudity is good. And this is one of the reasons I like taking my children to art museums and having them see beautiful naked sculptures and paintings. So it's really important right up front, I think, that we they get that out the way. Like it's been said, right, porn shows too little of the human person, not too much. It reduces and obfuscates the personhood of the performer, leaving him or her to be just a sort of shell for my bidding someone without an interior life, without any hopes or dreams or fears or aspirations. And that's not cool to treat people like that, actually. It does violence to the personhood of the performer, and it also does violence to the person partaking in pornography because they weren't meant to be a predator. They were meant to be a lover. Okay. So in the book here, The Porn Myth, you dissect and kind of like deconstruct some of these porn myths. Can you go over some of, just some of those, some of your favorite ones or all of them, whichever ones you want to pull out? 
Could you ever call a couple of those right now for our listeners yeah. so they could kind of see what are some of these these myths that maybe they are holding on to, or maybe they just hear other people say, and they're not quite sure how to respond to that. Yeah. Gee, where to start? Cause I've got about 40 in the book. Let me yes. try and go over a couple real quick. So, <laughs> so one might be is like porn's good for our relationships. And you might want to say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's something that, you know, mature people can consume uh, in the privacy of their bedroom and it'll help their sex life. And you think, okay, well, how will it help their sex life? And then I say, well, it'll make it more pleasurable. And that might be true. Just like you going to see a prostitute might be a more pleasurable experience or hooking up with a guy at a bar might be a more exciting experience than making love to the person you've been married to for several years. But that isn't at all an indicator that it's healthy or good for you or that it isn't destructive behavior. That said, there's been, uh, gee, I mean, the book has it all there. There's a cornucopia of studies that have shown that those who consume porn regularly tend to be less satisfied sexually, that it, people tend to be more likely to have an affair by something like 300%. It's just uh, it's just not at all good. If you want to remain sexually dissatisfied, then porn is most certainly the way to go about it. I think another myth people believe is that porn isn't addictive. And I think Christians tend to think this for one or two reasons. First, because they think people misuse the term addiction. They use it as a cop-out word, and therefore we shouldn't use it at all. Or secondly, they'll say only drugs are addictive and porn isn't a drug, so you shouldn't call it addictive. So First, yes, the word addiction can be misused, but that doesn't mean it isn't, can't be used in an appropriate sense. Secondly, the idea that for something to be addictive, it has to be a substance that you put into your body is hopelessly out of touch with what we now know through modern neuroscience, which is essentially that behaviors can be just as addictive as substances can. So in the AS, or what is it, the, the DSM put out by the American Psychiatric Association, they have a whole section for pathological, well, for behavioral addiction, such as pathological gambling, where nothing is injected or ingested. So right now, as I speak to you, Leah, there's 39 peer-reviewed neuroscience studies on porn users. That's it, 39, I think, or 30 or 39 or 40. Every single one of them supports the addiction model. So people might say, well, what do you mean by addiction anyway? There's different ways we could define the term. We could define it in a psychological way, I suppose, or even in a theological way. We could say it's when you bring that infinite thirst for God to something mutable. But the way I'm defining it is in the neurological sense. So most people listening would agree that addiction is a real phenomenon. And you might say, well, okay, when it occurs, isn't it likely that the brain would react in a certain way, that, that stuff would change in the brain so that it's not functioning properly? And they might say, well, yes, I suppose that would be true with alcohol or methamphetamines or something. Well, when I say a, the addiction model, what I'm saying is with all these studies have shown that the same sort of deterioration takes place in the brain with those who are addicted to porn in a very similar way to say those who are addicted to substances. And so that should cause us pause as well. And that leads to all sorts of negative consequences like anxiety, erectile dysfunction, the, the inability to climax with one's spouse and all those sorts of things. Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a theology of beauty pilgrimage to Italy. This July 2018 with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the famous cooking priest. We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th. And there are, uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last. So you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. 
You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadarrow.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out and I'll see you in Italy. All right. Gosh, there's so much. Matt, you are I know, so good. Right? I know. There's so, and there's just, I love, I mean, this sounds weird, but like, I love how much you know about this. Like, it is so great to talk oh, to somebody, you. you know, who, who really knows it. It's not, and not just like, well, I just, I think this. <laughs> because mm-hmm. Yeah. It, like, but the background and the research in it too is so interesting. I want to talk about a couple different things. I'm going to just mention in the book, there are these three pieces that you talk about. And there, there's more than that. You guys really got to get this book. We'll obviously have the link in there for you to buy this book. It's on Audible too, Leah. Yes. Okay. If if people don't want to carry around a big red book that says porn on the front cover, they can always listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I guess I just, my, I guess I just don't care anymore. I carry this around on planes. I have been over the past few, few weeks preparing for the interview, looking at everything, reading it, putting questions in the thing, but absolutely you can grab it on audible.com. And now, Matt, are, do you actually read the book or does someone else read it for you? You know what's funny is I suggested to the people who wanted to buy the rights to the audio version, I'm like, I can read it. And they went, okay, send us a sample. So I sent them a sample and they went, mm, no, we're good. Thank you. And they went with some English bloke instead. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, that, that's cool. Do you think it was your Australian accent? or? <laughs> I tried my best to sound proper and sophisticated. And they were like, mm, no, we're going to go with this guy. So that's okay. I just find that funny because... For Americans, I mean, we love Australian accents. So, like, it's uh, it's just funny that they, they said they no had to a you. pool. Uh, I mean, I'm not popular enough that people might say, "Well, I want to hear the author directly." But maybe they have a handful of uh, yeah people who read books that they they draw from. But anyway, he sounds good. He did a great job. He did a great job. Okay, so Audible.com, you can grab Matt's book, The Porn Myth. I'll, I'll make sure I include the Audible link in there too, so that you can grab that. So going back, there were obviously me just being a woman and some of the things that I gravitate towards in terms of evangelization and things that kind of hit me in my life. I was looking at some of, of looking at the introduction and I want to kind of talk about three pieces. And if you could, I'd love to hear what you have to kind of say about one or all of them. But these are some statements that you've made. These are myths that you debunk. Porn empowers women. The second one is swimsuit editions and men's magazines are not porn. I found very interesting because of my past life. And then there's two more. Women don't struggle with porn. And then the last one that really hit me when I read this section was men wouldn't turn to porn if their wives were more sexually attentive or prettier. Uh Now, we have a lot of women who listen to this podcast. So those obviously are they they like really hit me. And I went straight to actually reading those first (laughs) than anything else. Because it's this frustration I currently now have after my conversion of looking at these things and one, understanding where the myth comes from. I also believed that swimsuit editions and men magazines are not porn. I believe that. I, I guess I believed it. I accepted it because that's just what, you know, it was just like if it was porn, it had to have been like really hardcore, crazy out there. Like it's obvious. And I did not want to look at the reality of what was going on in my own personal life and as as my work as a professional model. And so some of those things, obviously, they, they, they definitely hit home for me. And especially as women are attacked so much in our culture today, men too, but me just being a woman, I kind of, I gravitate towards that first. So could you kind of 
I mean, I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but would you no, mind going back and maybe talking about some of those yeah. those myths that you mentioned here in the book? Yeah, so I'll respond to some of that. And then if you want me to address any in particular, let me know. So first of all, this idea that you know, swimsuit magazines are pornography. I mean, I'd want to be a little more nuanced than that. But before we even ask the question or answer the question, can swimsuit magazines and Sports Illustrated be pornographic? We need to know what pornography is, because if we don't have a clear working definition, then we'll never have a reliable answer. And so I think that a, a decent definition for pornography might be something like this. Material that depicts erotic behavior, uh, which intends to arouse. Something like that. I know people can quibble with that a little bit, but it's very difficult to come up with a hard and fast definition. So maybe we'll say, well, that's, that's pretty good. And if you say, well, if you agree with that, then you have to say, okay, well, Fifty Shades of Stupid is material which depicts erotic behavior. Okay, well, there you go. Well, that, that must be pornography. And then you say, well, what about some of these swimsuit mechanisms? Is it depicting erotic behavior? And you might say, well, I'm not sure. Or you might say, no. You might say, quite definitely, yes. I'm not sure it's always so easy to tell. So, for example, if I think of uh, Victoria's Secret's fashion show, What's the primary motivation in that? Is it to sell underwear or is it to kind of incite sexual arousal? I actually am not sure. Like it might be a bit of both or maybe not. So I'm, there's cases where I don't feel comfortable saying something's pornographic or not. But, but that said, if, if you like that definition, I think that should cause us to think that some of these things that we treat as if it isn't pornography might just may be. I think it's also important to point out that not all forms of pornography are equally bad. Like, it's important that we realize that, right? It's obviously, like, if you think of Playboy centerfold porn, that's obviously less bad than, say, child pornography. But less bad doesn't mean good. So it would be like saying, I only smoke a carton of cigarettes a day, which is less bad than if I were to smoke five cartons of cigarettes a day. Therefore, it's healthy. And you'd say, no, it doesn't make it healthy. And so that's all. That, that was my point there. I think we have to be, yeah, be a little nuanced and at the same time admit to ourselves when we may not like to that what we're consuming is actually pornographic because it's material which depicts erotic behavior, which is intended to sexually arouse. And that isn't what naked art does, right? It's, it doesn't depict erotic behavior almost ever. And if it does, it's done in a way that doesn't arouse. Like you could say that art isn't created for the sake of masturbation and pornography isn't created for the sake of beauty. So I think there's a real clear difference between the two there. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, that was really, really good. And in regards to women viewing pornography, it's obviously very offensive and hurtful to say that women don't look at porn because looking at porn is a really kind of shameful thing that makes us feel bad about ourselves. So, you know, you already feel pretty bad, pretty lousy. And so then to have someone come along and insinuate that this isn't something that you should struggle with, just heaps on the shame, which is absolutely unhelpful. I often try to help men understand this. I say, look, if you were struggling with body image, you know, maybe you've got a belly you're trying to get rid of, or you know, maybe whatever, something of you going bald or something like that, or you just feel really self-conscious. And if someone were to get up and insinuate or to flat out say men don't struggle with their bodies, this is just something that women struggle with, you'd feel really ashamed and you'd feel like, gosh, what's wrong with me? And that is how women feel when they're told in one way or another that they shouldn't struggle with this. So it's just just not true that women don't struggle with porn, and it's not helpful to say so. So I always, in my talks, encourage women who are listening to find a woman they trust and that they love and who won't judge them, and to say to them, look, this is something I'm struggling with, and I just needed to tell somebody, and maybe you could pray with me, or maybe I could reach out to you if I'm ever struggling. 
And uh, a lot of these women have come back to me and they've said, you'll never guess what my friend said. She said, me too. And they're able to be a source of strength for each other. Yeah. And in that chapter in the book, you give some great information and statistics about how, unfortunately, obviously, pornography use in women is on the rise. And there's uh, that research to back that to show that, that it's actually more common than we think. And it's happening earlier. In- and, e- and even violent pornography tends to be what women are looking up. It's not like men are looking up violent, misogynistic porn and women are looking up vanilla porn, quote unquote. It's like we've got good reason to think that many women are looking up misogynistic, you know, body hurting types of pornography. Mm. Sorry to get that real. You might want to do a disclaimer at the start of the podcast. But anyway. No. We're, 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 we're good. No, I mean, this is, it, this is, this is what we need to be talking about though. I mean, these are, this is what's really going on. I, I feel like pornography is, I feel like it's, what, how do you say it? Eroticized self-idolatry. So like you think of E.L. James's stupid books, right? Fifty Shades. Like when you first glance at that book or you first hear about it, it appears that he's the monster and she's the victim, which might be the case. But if you look a little deeper, you'll see that she's the one worshipped and he's the worshipper. It's almost like there's this twisted part in all of us that really wants power and wants worship. And I feel like in pornography, if you think of pornography, like the man is usually the one dominating the woman and she's completely submissive to him and he hurts her and she pretends to enjoy it and he feels strong and powerful. And uh, I think we see something similar in E.L. James's crap and that other kind of female pornography, that it's like there's this part of us that wants worship, wants to lord it over another. So it does tap into a rather dark place in us, I think. I'm it not does. Sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Why, why is it, this is what kills me. Why is it so hard for our culture, let's just call that group that, <laughs> to see that Fifty Shades of Grey like it seems like they're in denial that it's this type of, you know, abuse and pornography. I mean, why are people defending it to that saying that it's fine? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if this I'm trying to like be sympathetic. And I, and I wonder if and you tell me what you think, because you have, you know this more than me. But I wonder if, you know, it seems like there's double standards for both men and women, right? Like so if a man is a player, we call him a player. But if a woman's a player, we call her a slut. Right. And if she chooses not to be a quote unquote player, we call her frigid. And so I wonder if there's been this sense of shame around a woman's desire for, say, orgasm and sexual delight, that when something like Fifty Shades comes out, it allows her to express that part of her or to explore that part without feeling shame. Now, of course, Fifty Shades is rotten and garbage and pornographic and degrading. I'm not defending it. But I just wonder if it's been the case, and maybe it's not. I might be completely wrong about this, but I just wonder if some women, sometimes I know I sound like I'm taking the like ultra feminist position here, but I'm just trying to think this through. Like, has it been the sense where it's like, well, as a woman, like you're not supposed to want an orgasm. Like you should just endure it. You know, it's the men who want it, the women put up with it. Now that's obviously very you know, simplistic. And I don't think maybe that is the way things are. But if one did feel like that, regardless of what the surrounding circumstances were, I imagine then Fifty Shades of Grey would initially seem like a liberating experience. Okay, so there you go. That's me thinking, not saying anything. What do you think? (laughs) Right. Well, I think it goes along with a lot of other things that are going on in culture right now, where 
it starts out as pretending or posing or whatever it might be to be some type of liberation. Mm-hmm. And it touts freedom and all these women's rights and, and you are as equal and the same as men and no different and do as much as you want. It can be whoever you want. And even in when we're talking about in the sexual realm and involving intimacy, I think that that's probably where some people come from, from that stance. I don't know about mm-hmm. the writer. I don't know about that. There's, I, also, I, there's also a sense in which like in a world in which women may not be being pursued, there's a desire that someone would, pu- would pursue them even forcefully. Like women who watch porn, when they talk to me, they say that they imagine themselves as the woman and they, they would like to be pursued. And so obviously no woman wants violence done against her. That's obviously not the point. But with Fifty Shades, you've got Christian Grey who's at least pursuing her, like at least wants her, even if it's against her will to some degree. And I sometimes wonder if, you know, again, to use that word culture, which might not apply to this mass of individuals who live in this country, but like who aren't being pursued, there's something in it that taps into the feminine heart that says you ought to be pursued and seen and sought after. Right. And and then you lower your standard in terms of how that pursuing is going, going on. And okay, well, if I'm pursued and you have to hit, hit, hit me with it during sex and okay, I guess I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's, I'm, that's a little glib, but you know, yeah, I think there's something and there's, there's so many layers to that. Right. I mean, I think you and I both know, we see this in the work that we do is that there's obviously this, there obviously is a lack of pursuing going on. Uh-huh. There is a lack of commitment going on. It's swipe left, swipe right, meet here. We'll spend yeah. a few minutes together and then it's over. But what we're craving for is that love is beauty. We're craving yeah. for an intimate relationship with someone that's compatible, that's committed and competent. And we mm-hmm. want someone to stick around. We don't want them, you know, to just up and leave after whatever it is. And so there's so many layers to behind all of this stuff when we're talking about it, because it, it does come down to relationship. It does mm-hmm. come down to our identity. It does I, come down. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I guess it's funny, you know, when you do podcasts like you do, you can only speak so long before you start getting into dangerous territory and people start accusing you of saying different things when you're really just thinking them through. And that's what I'm really I'm trying to do here. I feel like with, you know, it's sort of like with men looking at pornography, you know, you want to step back and say, okay, it's not just enough to say, well, this is bad. You shouldn't do it. At some point you should say, you get something out of this, figure out what that is, but why this is an unhealthy way to go about it. And that could be a dangerous thing. You know, like a man might say, you know, I really quite like looking at porn. It feels good. I feel strong. I feel rested afterwards. And I think it's important to admit that sort of like the alcoholic who said he was only able to find freedom when he admitted he loved getting drunk but that he recognized it was killing him. And I think something similar ought to happen with a woman who's addicted to pornography. She shouldn't be afraid to say, well, what is it that I'm actually seeking here? Like, what is it that triggers me? What is it that I go looking for? Because what I'm going looking for is likely to be good, whether that's a sense of affirmation or a a feeling of being pursued or something like that. But then to recognize that pornography is clearly not the way to go about it and that it's killing my heart. And that if I want to have any chance of living a life that's true, good and beautiful, I need to quit it. But, um, but not to be afraid to ask those questions, I guess is what I'm saying. No, you're, I completely champion what you just said, not being afraid to ask those questions and to recognize that it may be obvious. Obviously, pornography is a disordered way to go about whatever the intention is okay. that one would be seeking. I know there's not just one for each person that's the exact same. 
but to recognize that like, but going about it in that way, in that disordered way is hurting you. Let's talk about that. Like there are definitely these myths. There's a ton in the book that you debunk and they're great. What about the negative effects of pornography? Like what is it doing, Matt, to our bodies, to our brains, to our spiritual life? What is it doing? So when someone gets addicted to to something like a behavior, what happens is, well, there's this neurotransmitter, which we've all heard about by now called dopamine. And dopamine incentivizes us to pursue rewards that are good for us. It's like why we want a cold drink on a hot day. It's why sex seems so appealing. It's even what kind of gives us the desire to win a game or to exercise or to eat a hamburger when we're hungry. That got to have it now feeling is dopamine. And so what neuroscientists have discovered is that when people consume pornography with any sort of regularity, dopamine begins to atrophy, shrink. And then the reward center in the middle of our brain, which receives the dopamine to give us that feeling, is in a state of dopamine craving. And so one has to, as it were, reset the pleasure thermostat to create a new sort of normal. And that's why people find themselves viewing pornography for longer and viewing more deviant forms of pornography. I mean, think about it. It's not like somebody wakes up at the age of 30, having never seen pornography, and decides to view some gross fetish. What tends to happen is they spiral into these things because shame boosts epinephrine, which boosts dopamine, which makes us feel normal, especially if we're in that addicted state. Now, as a feedback of sorts, we've seen a lot of evidence to show that the frontal lobes, that's the sort of managerial center of the brain, begins to atrophy. Like there's actually less gray and white matter in those parts. It's actually a condition called, well, cortical hypofrontality. So if someone ever gets into a car wreck, for example, and they hit their head hard, they can suffer with like a bruising to the frontal lobes. And this results in all sorts of weird behaviors. Like uh, you start speaking and doing things without thinking through the consequences, you become more emotional and so forth. Well, what we've discovered is that addiction brings about the same effects in the brain as, say, like a head trauma can. And that's why people can tend to be in that addicted state, more emotional. They tend to do things without thinking through the consequences. So I would just suggest to people, if they want to learn more about this, uh, I have a whole several podcasts on this these issues. My website is lovepeopleusethings.fm. Because I'm sure there's people listening right now and they're like, okay, but show me the evidence. Well, I've, I've actually documented all the evidence. And it's kind of a little difficult to bring up in a short conversation like this, but they can go check it out there. One study that's worth mentioning is the Kuhn study, K-U-H-N. This came out of the Max Planck Institute in Germany a couple of years ago, 2014. And um, they discovered that to the degree people looked at pornography, there was these people had smaller parts of their brains than those who didn't look at pornography. And uh, in the scientific abstract, they said our suspicion is that this is causation. That's our hypothesis. We might be wrong. Maybe this is just a matter of correlation. But see, if that's true, that would just mean that people with small brains are more attracted to porn, which isn't a feather in your cap. But we've got good reason to think that porn is negatively impacted the brain in a significant way. And that then, of course, I mean, think about it. If the brain's impacted negatively, everything else follows from that. So you become more anxious, perhaps, you know, you like this. People who tend to struggle with pornography, men at least, tend to struggle with premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, and all sorts of a host of behaviors like that. But the good news is, of course, that, and I'll close on this because I've been going on a while, is that the brain is plastic. I don't mean that it's made of polyethylene. I mean that it's constantly rewiring and remolding and making new connections. And so whereas we used to think that after adolescence, your brain set like cement and that was it, 
We now know that's not true, that your brain changes based on your behaviors. And so even if one has experienced detrimental effects due to pornography consumption, those can, in a sense, be undone over time. So that's good news. Very good news. Yeah, there is. There's a ton of information here. So we'll definitely, I'll put some links to what Matt was just mentioning in the show notes of some of those extra podcasts that he's already done that can give you that information if you want to go and to listen more about some of those effects that pornography has on our bodies, our brains, our hearts, our spiritual lives, our relationships, all of that. And of course, it's definitely in the book here that we're talking about the porn myth. In the back of the book, there are three appendices that are really great, one of which I want to kind of bring up right now before we wrap up. But the first one has got a lot of the, probably some of the stuff that you just mentioned. It's the quick findings from the experts, and you're going to get a lot of great research there. These are chunky too. I mean, like you're going to be fully backed in terms of support of like learning how to discuss this maybe with yourself or with others. If it comes up in your social mm. circle, you'll have a lot here. And that's really important of being able to, to have this information here for, like I said, yourself and others. The second one that we'll kind of come back to is the resources for individuals, spouses and parents. So we're going to come back to that because I do want to talk about that. And then the third one that you have on here is brain studies on porn users. That's that was really enlightening for me. I'm a little bit of a nerd. A lot of people don't know this, but before I actually began this type of work in evangelization and speaking and writing books and podcasting and all that stuff, I actually worked in the neuropsychology department at uh, Washington University. It's in hmm. St. Louis. And so my background, uh, my bachelor's was in psychology. And so I got a job in neuropsych. I was very fascinated with just the brain and psychology and behaviors. And when the brain gets hurt or is impacted from addiction or disease, what happens with it. So I just devoured that section. I was hmm, just loving it, loved all the neurology parts of it, of what our, how our brains work. And so as you're talking, as you were just talking just a few minutes ago about like the frontal lobes and that's where the executive functioning is right in the front of our brain. And so whenever, you know, like, like you mentioned a car accident or con continual addiction, it affects how we literally function in life outside of this one little arena of porn use. So it's, it I mean, obviously has an, an impact on, on all of us, our families, ourselves, our relationships, the world in which we live in. So all of the, it's just, this book is so great in terms of the information that you've given us. There's so much, but to get back to what I was mentioning, I wanted to kind of go over this one, this one piece in here. You have got a lot of resources and I think these are really great. And you have a list of resources and that you've, you've divided this up into four sections. And so can you talk about, so I guess the sections that you have here is for individuals that are seeking help with their porn addiction. There's another section for resources for spouses of those who have a porn addiction. A third group is resources for parents who want to protect their children from pornography. And then the fourth section that you have laid out here is resources for those who are seeking more education just about the negative impact of porn. This is so great. In terms of the third piece, resources for parents who want to protect their children from pornography, what are some of like the favorite things that you love to tell parents when you give these types of talks? Oh, yeah. I just did a whole Lighthouse Catholic Media CD on this. It's a big topic. I'll touch upon two real quick. The, well, three things. Number one, you have to be talking to your children about pornography, I think from as early as six years of age, because it's at around that time that they have access to technology. So Matt, and let me 
let me interrupt you right there. Yeah. How would a parent talk to their six-year-old kid about pornography? Like, like what would they yeah, say? Yeah, that's a good question, obviously. A lot of people hear that and they become you know, very scandalized. They think, gosh, I can't say that to my kid. You're crazy. But when you think about it, we talk to our kids about all sorts of stuff that's even more disturbing than pornography. Like, you think about this, if you were out at a restaurant or a movie theater or a, some kind of carnival and there's lots of people and maybe your child runs away from you. Maybe they just go to the bathroom on their own or something. And what felt like an hour may have been 10 minutes. But when you find them frantically, you grab them by the arm, you know, you, you get on your knees, you look them in the eye. And what do you say to them? I mean, you might say something like, you mustn't run, run away from mommy or daddy. And when they say why, it's not unlikely that you'll say, because there could be a bad man in there who could take you away. Goodness, like, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about <laughs> abduction and everything that comes along with that. But we do it in an age appropriate way, because we recognize this is the world in which we live. And we want to equip our children, giving them as little information as we need to about the dark side of life. Well, something similar can happen with pornography. So you might say to your six-year-old, I want to talk to you about something and it's called pornography. What's that? Well, pornography is pictures or videos or photos maybe of people who are showing parts of their body that their bathing suit should cover. And if anyone ever shows that to you or if you ever see it, say, you should always tell mom and dad and we'd be very proud of you. You might think you're going to get in trouble, but you, you wouldn't. We'd actually be really proud of you for doing that. So that's the first thing. And, and a way to learn how to do that would be to go to protectyoungminds.org protectyoungminds.org. They specialize in this. Secondly, I'd say carbonize is essential. I said this on Twitter the other day. It made a lot of people really upset, but I really mean it. And so I'm going to go ahead and see if I can offend some of your listeners today. But like, if you are a parent and you know that your children may be exposed to harmful material online, like that it's very likely that they will, and you do nothing about it, you're a bad parent. Like you just are. Now, you may not have realized how easy it was for children to access pornography, or you may not have had any idea that your children could see it or something, and that would just make you and I ignorant. But if we know that there's a high likelihood that they'll ex be exposed to things that will damage them, and you do nothing, you're a bad parent. And so you should stop being a bad parent and start doing some practical things like getting Protect Young Minds or not getting, looking up young minds, getting Covenant Eyes. Like Covenant Eyes is the best filtering and accountability software on the web. If there was a better one, I'd talk about that, but there isn't. And so people just have to get that. And then the third thing I would say in regard to parents, no, well, those would be the three things, the conversation, protect young minds, and then Covenant Eyes. Okay. So protectyoungminds.com, covenanteyes.com. Love them. We have them. It, it's wonderful. We'll definitely include all of those links there. So good. Matt, as you said, it's so hard to kind of talk about all of this in such a yeah. short time. This a podcast, the intent of this podcast was not to obviously solve all porn's problems or discuss all of the issues with porn. Yeah. This is just an introduction. This is an introduction for one to have, of course, Mr. Matt Fred here on the podcast with this and then also discuss this this topic. So there's going to be more conversations that we'll have here in the podcast that will go a little bit deeper into some of these areas. So Fear not, we'll have Matt back if you'll come back, Matt. Of course. And we'll talk more about this. But of course, we are aware, Matt's aware, I'm aware that, that this is, it's not complete. We know that, which to be honest with you, and I'm happy to do this. That's why you need to be educated on this topic. Like I have found that this book has really helped me feel more confident to talk about it. And to be honest with you, 
I could probably go to pull a few things without this book, but not much. There's a lot more here that I'm like, I'm so thankful that I read it, that I have this information, that I go back and I can look at it because it does make you feel a little bit more empowered to help yourself, to help explain the topic to others when maybe someone else wants it. And it might not be that someone's disagreeing with you, but how you can maybe go a little bit deeper into some of the aspects of what the pornography industry is doing to our culture, to our world, to our people, to us, to our families and relationships, and to our kids. So definitely get the book. It's worth it. And we live in an age, unfortunately, that we need to know. We need to defend ourselves and be able to talk about these issues because they're everywhere. And it's unfortunately quite accessible. So with that being said, Matt, we're wrapping up and we'd love to get a challenge from you to our listeners on maybe this topic or something else on your heart. It's up to you. But would you mind giving us a challenge for today? Yes, I would. And it's going to seem rather self-serving, but maybe it is, but it'll still be helpful. I would recommend that everybody listening to this podcast speak out in some way or another about pornography. And so here's just like two ways you could do that. Like one, you could share the link to this podcast on Leah's website or wherever it's found and just say, here's some great information that I heard about how pornography is like negatively impacting us. You might want to check it out. Like you don't have to be preachy about this. Uh, The reason this book that I wrote is a non-religious book was so that people could give it to non-religious friends. So that would be one thing. The other thing might be to tell other people about my podcast, lovepeopleusethings.fm. And that's just, if, imagine if everyone did that. Just very simple. Maybe only five people will see it. But I think we've reached a tipping point in our culture now so that either everyone either struggles with it directly or knows and loves somebody who does. And we can no longer believe the worn out mantra from the porn industry that porn is just harmless entertainment. That said, they've got a heck of a lot of money to run a sort of a campaign obfuscating all the facts that are coming out. So that would be my challenge to just speak to somebody either in person or online about some of these resources we've been speaking about. Amen. All right. Excellent. Excellent challenge. Very good. I love those strong action oriented challenges. They're so great. Make sure you do it. It's very easy to share, as you know, especially if you're listening to this podcast on your phone right now, you got that little button with the arrow up. You just do that and you add it to whatever social media that you would like to post it to. So go ahead and take that challenge from Matt Fred. Matt, always a joy. I am so honored to be able to speak beside you at so many different conferences and, and, and places. I am proud that you're my brother in Christ, and I am so thankful for you, and I'm praying for you and all the good work that you're doing for the kingdom and for your family and those great kids that you have. Thank you, Leah. Appreciate it. Amen. All right. Now, listen, remember, whatever you do today, whatever it might be, whoever you encounter, whatever the day may hold, Make sure that you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you later. 